Bible, 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, this morning. Uh, I preached a, um, a series of sermons uh, some time ago, and uh, I entitled them uh, Defining Moments. And uh, what triggered me was um, someone can live for decades, 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 long time, and the Bible says absolutely nothing about them. And then there will come a moment, a defining moment in their life, and it's like the Bible at that place begins to record every thought. They'll make a decision in that moment of time, and you can see two people, same place, same time, and their destinies totally split, go in different directions. The reason I believe the Bible is so careful to record these moments is because in these moments, we gain great insight into the nature of God. How He views things. How He evaluates. Decisions that were made by people that pleased God and released spiritual blessing and spiritual dimensions. I want to minister on one of those this morning, a sermon I've entitled, Making a Room for the Miraculous in Second Kings. I want to read a few verses and pray I can get through this sermon. It's Just pray. I want to tell some stories this morning. Amen. I felt Pastor Marty this morning. He didn't want to stop. I could tell. He didn't want to, he was wound up full bore and he didn't want to stop. But I felt him. He, he put the brakes on. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable or a great woman. She persuaded him to eat some food, so it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. She said to her husband, Look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there, a table and a chair, a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Happened one day that he came there. He turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi's servant, Call the Shumanite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to her, He said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha said, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. 
But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time came, of which Elisha had told her. The child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his, with his father to the field or the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. He said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, then he died. She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door upon him and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men on one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. He said, Where are you going to him? Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. She said, It is well. Then she saddled a donkey, said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She departed, went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, I looked the Shumanite woman. Please run now to meet her. Say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? She answered, It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him at the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, Let her alone. Her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me. She has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child. There was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him, told him, saying, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands, stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned, walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. He called to Gehazi, I said, Call the Shumanite woman. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, picked up her son, and went out. Father, we come this morning by the blood of Jesus. God, we ask that you give insight, that you stir faith, give revelation today. We thank you for all we've heard this week, and we give you glory. Amen. Making a room for the miraculous. Now, the Bible says she was a great lady. This word great in the Hebrew, it, it has a number of thoughts behind it. One was material greatness. She owned an estate. She had fields and harvest. Here is a woman. She has substance. She's a woman of means. We know that Abraham, God spoke when dealing with Abraham, Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and thy exceeding great reward. And so the Bible, uh, sometimes it talks about greatness, um, and it links greatness um, uh, to substance or material wealth, but also there's the thought of social eminence, um, or someone who's well-known, someone who has position, a celebrity, a, a person of fame, renowned. The Olympics are going on, and, and you know, the Thorpedo, or whatever they call him, you know, he has some, some kind of, of fame, and you might say, look, that person is great. But 
what I want to focus on is why would God record this woman as a noble or a great woman? It is one thing for the world to attach that term to your name, but it is another thing entirely when God... And here we have insight, verse number 8, it fell on a day that Elisha passed by. Now this moment is going to define this woman's entire destiny. Now think of this. Here she is, she lives in Shunem, and there's a road between, uh, uh, on to Samaria from Carmel, um, and this Carmel is where Elisha lived, and it fell on a day, nothing's unusual. The Bible says this is a common everyday of life like many of us live. And the man of God is passing by. He's evidently on his ways about kingdom business. But no doubt he passed by on many days. This was the common road that he would travel from his place of abode down across the valley and into the city. He often passed this way. No doubt there were numbers of people who would see him pass by. There are other women, there's husbands, there's fathers, there's childrens perhaps. Um, they're laboring in the field and as the man of God would go by, they perhaps would wave or they would pull their son over and say, there goes the man of God. Um, and they would recognize him. But like so many defining moments of life, there's no high drama. There's no curtain call. Many other people experiencing the same thing have the same possibility, the same opportunity. But here we see a secret of a great heart for God. What separated her from all the others along this road? Why thousands of years later is this moment recorded for all eternity for you and I to read this woman as chosen out and God labels her as noble or great. Why is her story in God's Word? The Bible says in verse 8, she constrained him to eat bread and so it was that as often as he passed by he would turn in there to some food. Verse 9, he passed by us continually. This woman had a heart to meet kingdom need. You don't have to twist her arm. You don't have to badger her. Here's a woman out of her own heart. She's going to willingly take of her resources and Respond to a need of the ministry. His needs were not a bother to her. You don't hear it say, Guys, this guy, since I started baking bread, he's here every day. Man, all he wants is my bread. You ever hear me? All they want is my money. Wish he'd quit. Gosh. But the Bible says she constrained him. She insisted. She compelled him. She's looking upon his passing by. And something rose up in her heart. Um, and she said she moved upon. Maybe he was hesitant uh, to respond uh, 
to her liberality. I'm not sure of all the story, but the Bible does say that out of her heart now she's going to pull upon him and she's going to make him understand, look, no matter how many times you pass by, you can count on me. My joy of life and my heart is to be a blessing to the ministry and to the man of God. She loved to give. She viewed her substance as an instrument to bless the work of God. Money is simply a tool to advance the kingdom of God. I can see this woman breaking bread. As she's baking this bread, maybe for her own family, and at the same time she says, I wonder... I wonder if Elisha be coming by. Maybe I better lay a loaf besides. Maybe I better put this. How do you govern your substance and your wealth? This week, when you came to conference, did you say, you know what? I bet there's a kingdom need going to pass by on Thursday night. Maybe I better lay something back out of. Pastor, what did you do? Because here is a revelation of a great heart. The Bible says, Jesus said these words, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jesus in Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there Will your heart be also? If God looked at you today by what you're doing with your substance, would He want to record your story? Would He want to take several pages out of His Word? Would He want to choose you out of all the others that are along the road, all the others that saw the man of God, all the others that saw the need, all the others that were where, others that had substance and resources and finances, but did not respond? As He passes by this morning in this place, and He watches you this week as you write your check, or give your offering, would He want to record your story? Would it be worthy to be recorded? Would He call you noble? Would He call you great? Because, you see, a great heart for God looks for opportunities to meet kingdom need. It's an attitude when it comes to our money and God's need. Paul said, God loveth a cheerful giver. Jesus sent His disciples. He's approaching the cross. Um, and He says, look, um, Luke 19.33, as they... He says, look, I want you to go. You're going to find a colt that's never been ridden. And this is what I want you to say to the owner. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose you the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. What's in your heart this morning when those words come at you? The Lord hath need 
of your resources. The Lord hath need of your finances, of your substance. It doesn't end there because her giving built a room for the man of God. Let us make a little room, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set up for him there a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick, and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. And so now she's enlisted her husband. She's speaking to her husband. She said, please. In other words, this woman, now she's going to cooperate. She's going to link her life with others to meet a kingdom need. She's going to build a room, and this room is going to play a significant part in her life. You know, I believe this lady, if she was here today, she would love to plant churches. In fact, I wish she was here today. Tonight, when the offering's taken, maybe she is. Maybe she is here today. And so she's going to build a room that's not just a blessing to Elisha, but a blessing to God. I want to examine with you that our giving makes a room for the miraculous. If you can grasp this, it'll revolutionize your life. I can tell you stories here all day, miraculous stories, incredible stories that every preacher, every disciple, every wife here loves to hear because they're about money and God. Years ago, my wife and I are pioneering in Phoenix, Arizona. We have no money. We have no money. No money. I mean, we're pioneering. I mean, it's my son says it was pork and beans and hot dogs. But if you saw him today, you know that I fed him better than that. <laughs> now your kids, they always tell. They grow up and tell these horror stories on you. He tells these stories. Dad used to drop me off with 5,000 flyers and a rock to keep them from blowing away and come back three days later and pick me up, you know. <laughs> Probably his mind, you know, he's eight, eight years old. Probably felt like three days, maybe three months. But I remember we were living in a little corner apartment there. We were pioneering on 28th Street in Phoenix, and my wife got a word from an evangelist and said, God's going to give you a house. Whew. She was excited. Me, I'm scared to death. She begins to pray. She's pressing me. We need to go look. I mean, she's into it. We get this realtor, this lady, and so we begin to go look at various houses. And my wife, you know, she's the one. She's, she's pressing me on this. She's leading this. I mean, she's charging after this thing. And, you know, I, I wish I could say I had all the faith, but I didn't. And she's telling this realtor this and that and another and... Finally, we go to this house, and, and she says to me, Honey, this is the one. I mean, this is getting intense. And I said, This is it. This is the house. I said, Well, praise God. <laughs> so we're approaching closing time. Um, 
And we have to come up with our money, you know, to close this uh, purchase of this home. We have no money. My family has no money. Her family, we don't know where to get any money. We have no money. This realtor lady, as time approaches, you know, she's, you know how they are. She's, she's dealt with a lot of people and, and she's becoming a little uncomfortable that we're not showing any cash. And so she calls me one day and, you know, Reverend Campbell, you know, when they're trying to sell you a house, it's always Reverend Campbell. <laughs> and she says, uh, what have you got your, your money? And uh, I said, well, it's, uh, it's coming and my father's got a lot of money. <laughs> I said, uh, she says, oh, he does. Is he wealthy? I said, oh, you won't believe how wealthy he is. <laughs> I says, uh, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> oh, your, your family are farmers. She knew I was actually from, from, from the Midwest. I said, more than that, all the gold and silver is his. By, by now, her, her alarm light is coming on, see? She says, who is your father? I said, well, the one I'm talking about lives in heaven. LAUGHTER <laughs> She said, what'd you say? <laughs> We're praying in our living room. We are praying. This is, this is the, one of the most wonderful stories. We are praying in our living room. My wife and I, we're in the living room. We're kneeling down. Little apartment there in Phoenix, 32nd Street in Osborne. And we're praying, my wife's praying. She says, God, you gave us a word. We need this money. We need $1,700, Lord. There's a knock at the door. I get up, I go to the door, I open the door. This man's standing there. He's got on jeans, cowboy boots. I kind of look behind him. There's this old Jeep truck. It's red, but uh, Arizona, it's faded, sandblasted by the weather. You know, it's probably... 15, 20 years old, and he's standing there, and he said, uh, Reverend Campbell, I said, uh, yeah. He said, God told me to give you this. And he gave me an envelope. I'm, I'm afraid of it. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I say, thank you. He gets in his truck and drives off. I go in. I says, honey, there's a man. He just might have been an angel. I don't know, but if he is an angel, he looked like a poor one. But anyway, and she opened up this envelope, and here is seventeen one hundred U.S. dollar bills. I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the sermon. We bought the house, moved into it, but I want to tell you, money is spiritual. And it creates a room for the miraculous of God. You see, faith is simply our response to the need of the moment. This woman, when she builds this room for Elisha, she has no idea what all's going to transpire in this room. She's simply responding out of her heart by faith to a kingdom need. But the Bible says in verse 11, it fell on a day 
This is going to be one of the most wonderful days of all of her life. But no doubt she got up that morning. It was just like any other day. Elisha came, turned into the room that she had built. And while he's laying there in the room, this very room that her giving had built, a thought came. I believe it was from God. He says to Gehazi, call the Shumanite woman. She came, stood in the doorway. And he says these words, now you've been concerned for us with all this care. What now is to be done for thee? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And then he says, well, he turns to Gehazi and says, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi says, she has no child and her husband is old. Now at this point, her heart must have begun to pound out of her chest. Now think of this barrenness in Israel. The whole culture. No doubt you've heard sermons on this. The agony, the prayers that have gone up year upon year, no doubt, when she was younger. She had agonized, oh God, perhaps like Hannah, Lord, give us a child, give us a son, give us a daughter. Our days are empty here. My husband, I love my husband. We have a farm, we have resources, uh, we have an estate, uh, we have, but God, our life is empty. We need a miracle. And she prayed and prayed and sought God and sought God in the years have come and gone. And now her husband's old. And that's why she says these words. She said, Oh no, my Lord. Thou man of God, do not lie to your hand. She's saying, Listen, don't, don't play with my heart. This, this is too tender. This is too precious. This is too painful. Elisha, don't, don't say those words. I, I don't even dare. I've given up. I've settled the issue long ago uh, that I'm never going to be able to have this child up. I've kind of made myself contempt. Don't stir all of that pain up again. Please, oh no, man of God, I respect you, but don't play with my heart. Don't, don't start me there. If it's just going to be another empty dream. If it's just going to be another disappointment. Don't tease me with those kinds of words. But you know, the Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of your heart. Hebrews says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. If you have a heart for kingdom need, somewhere God will pass by and say, what can I do for you? And it may take a miracle. You see, our giving lays up a reservoir in heaven that can be touched later. 
Paul says in Philippians 4.15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desired the gift, but I desired fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. But listen to these words. But my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. She met a kingdom need, and now God is going to step into the deepest desire of her heart and give her a miracle. You see, our giving builds a room for the miraculous. Proverbs says, a man's gift makes a room for him. What is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. Listen to me, Pastor. Your giving and your liberal heart will literally build a room where things can be birthed that you can never birth on your own. God will birth things into your life that you could never in a million years birth on your own. He will create miracles. Where it looks impossible. No way she could have a son. Her husband's beyond age. She's now limited by her own strength and ability. There is he that scattereth, yet increaseth more and more. The generous soul shall be made fat. What do you need God to birth in your life? We have a church in Kyleen, Texas. It's a military town. Big army base. And when President Clinton closed down a lot of bases, he moved tens of thousands of military into Kyleen, Texas. We planted that church a number of years ago. It struggled. Pastor there didn't do well. Ten, fifteen people. Put another pastor in. He didn't do well uh, either over a period of time. They labored part of it. Thank God for them. There's a pastoral change coming up. George Piper, I approach him. This was probably eight, nine years ago. I said, George, maybe seven, eight years ago, I said, would you and your wife like to go to Kyleen, Texas? He said, Pastor, I, you think we're qualified or equipped? He had tried to build a work in Gilbert, Arizona, right there next to us. Um, had struggled, had just a few people. He goes to Kyleen, Texas. That's been a wonderful story. 
God just blessed. The church has grown 300 plus military, mostly people. All you know, they're all young. Uh, they got a got a nursery about the size of this pulpit because none of them hardly are married or just newlyweds. But while he's there, there's a couple from Pakistan. The man's from Pakistan. His wife is from Memphis, Tennessee. He's a officer in the military. He met his wife at the University of Memphis, I believe it was. They got married. They've moved to Kyleen, Texas. Someone hands them a flyer. For years I've prayed for India. Years I've prayed, probably 15 years I've prayed for India. Here's a billion people. Been there a number of times. Moved the things I've saw just break your heart. This couple comes in to the work in Kyleen, Texas. Get gloriously saved. And as I mentioned just about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, we launched this couple into Bangalore, India. How can you compute all of that? Here is something we could never orchestrate on our own. Here is something you could never force. You, I mean, with the, um, the largest computer in the world, you could not orchestrate and bring all of this to pass. But all we did as a congregation, we simply, by our giving and by men going, we built a miraculous room in Kyleen, Texas. And God says, I'm going to birth something out of what you built there that you could never birth on your own. Beloved, we must have that dimension in the ministry. There's a man in the book of Acts, Cornelius. The Bible says his prayers and his giving, his alms came up as a monument before God. Now here is God in heaven. God wants to bring revival to the earth. Um, he wants to birth something in the earth. And what catches his eye, here is this monument that comes up in heaven. Uh, and so he begins to bring sheets out of heaven uh, uh, to break Peter's prejudice. Uh, uh, he begins to do all of these supernatural things. Um, and he sends Peter to the house of Cornelius. Um, his whole house is saved. The Holy Ghost falls on him. Revival breaks out. But there's a factor there. And that factor was his giving. His arms went up into heaven and caught the eye of God. And God says, now I'm going to do something for you that you could not do for yourself. Money spiritual. <clears throat> There's men and women here. You need God to do things in your life that you can't do. There are pastors here. You need God to birth things that you can't birth. The question this morning is, what kind of room are you building with your resources? Some build a fool's room. Remember the man who is increased, feels multiplied, 
And he said to himself, I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. What was the difference? He built a room, but he built it for himself rather than to the kingdom and the glory of God. And Jesus came to this man and he said, Thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose will these things be? Let me ask you, are you laying up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves can break in and steal? Or are you laying up treasures for yourself? And the Bible says, He was not rich toward God. What kind of room are you building? I want to close with a thought. The devil will always try to destroy what God has birthed in your life. Now it happened one day, and the story goes, you know, that the father's there in the field, the son has grown some now. He's a young lad, and as he's there in the field, he begins to scream his head, his head. Um, and the father, he has him rush back. Um, the mother takes the child. He's there on her knees till noon, the Bible says, and then he died. And so the devil, he will attack, and his aim is to destroy what God has birthed in your life. I could stop right here and launch off into many things. Um, any righteousness, any ministry, any anointing, uh, uh, any goodness, the gifts of the Spirit, I could go on and on that God is birthed and cultivated. The devil will try to always destroy. He hates what God has birthed. He doesn't care so much what you build in the world, but that which is built by God, that which is birthed by the Holy Ghost, He hates it. And so He attacks this child. Tries to kill it. The child dies. But watch where she takes things that are dying in her life. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and she shut the door on him. Now something has been attacked. Something has died in her life. Where does she take it? She puts it in the room that her resources had built. This miraculous room This room that is designed for the supernatural. This room that was built simply out of a heart that says, I want to respond to a need, a kingdom need. But now this room has taken on another dimension. It was in this room that she got a word, a miraculous word. It was in this room where the seed evidently was conceived in her womb. Her child is born. Now the child is dead and she takes him back. I wonder if she said, God, I built this room for your presence and your messenger. I built it because I love doing things for you. God, don't let it die. Who and where do you turn? When things of your life are under attack. This is critical. She turns to the man of God and her faith is linked to her obedience 
and her giving heart. Liberal people have faith. There's something about liberality that releases faith. There's something about a church that will say, you know what, God? Here. I want to give this to the kingdom of God. I got saved. I had nothing. Hadn't worked in two and a half years. I was a farmer. I raised strange plants. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) God began to bless me. After I got saved. (laughs) I better add that. After I got saved. And over the years, there are times God would test my obedience by an offering. My wife and I, we was in Phoenix a little over a year pioneering decided to go to the Midwest. This house that God had miraculously given us, we're going to sell it. We sold it, and this was, like I say, a number of years ago. We made 12,000 U.S. dollars in about a year. Property in that area just skyrocketed. We paid off some debts. We're going back to the Midwest. We've done some things, as I said, paid off debts, did various things. I'm sitting in church... Sparta, Illinois. Might have been a hundred people there that night. Pastor Terry Haynes, if you know him, Dennis Wright, they were there in that service. An offering is being taken for world evangelism. It's going to be sent to Prescott. We have $4,000 left. We're going to go to Marion, Illinois. We're going to pioneer work. My wife and I, we're going to get another house with this money. This is our down payment for another house. We're sitting in that service, and God began to deal with me to give the 4000 Say, was you excited? Heck no. <laughs> Terry Haynes' his wife is sitting there. Joni Hills is sitting there. I'm sitting there. And uh, Terry's sitting. And I look down at my wife. You know, when you don't want to give, you always ask your wife. <laughs> And we're whispering. I said, honey, the offering, you know, is coming. We could, I said, God's speaking to you. Said, yeah. We're whispering back and forth, you know. She says, I said, oh, $40. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, oh, got out the checkbook. I can see that offering plate coming. It's getting big. You know how it is. I mean, sweats broke out. It's, you know, it's freezing in there and sweats dripping off my face. I'm riding this thing like I got a broken arm. I wanted to jump up and run after the usher. I wanted to chase him down, catch him, say, No! No! 
couple months later, we're in Marion, Illinois. We're going to pioneer work. And I get our bank's bank statement, and there's $8,000 in our bank statement. So I go down to the bank. I say, there's, there's been, been a mistake. Uh, here, you know, we, we don't have this money. They said, no, no, Mr. Campbell, you don't understand. Someone anonymous came in and put $8,000 in your checking account. <laughs> Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God says, I will cause men to give back to you. She lays her dead son in the room that her finances had built. Gehazi comes. You know the story of Gehazi. He's covetous. He's greedy. There's no faith. Later, he's going to betray Elisha, sell his ministry, be a court jester in the king's court, telling stories about the miracles of Elisha. He comes into this room. He can do nothing. But she knew something. She stayed with the man of God. He comes into this room. Here, her dream has died. He stretches out on this boy. I believe there was an atmosphere of faith. You can go in churches that are liberal and there's an atmosphere of faith. I've preached all over many places in the world. I've preached in churches. And some churches, it is just tight. It's like pulling teeth. And you can tell it when the offering goes by too. This boy is raised from the dead. But what I want you to note, she put him in this room that her giving had built, and he is resurrected in this room that her giving had built. When things die in your life and you need resurrection power, there is something about faith that is linked to a testimony where you've been right before God with your money. Right before God with your money. Every conference, every Prescott conference, I press us to the wall. I made a decision years ago. Every time I go to Prescott conference, I got my own conference now. His July conference, mine's in August. I know we're going to launch seven or eight couples. I'm going to launch four couples out of Chandler. Overseas work. Malaysia's exploded. Cost us $40,000, $50,000 just to recover. And I went into that Prescott conference. Uh, my wife and I years ago made this and says, Honey, we are going to bankrupt ourselves. 
And we've given 10,000, 15,000, and went back, and God has never failed us. And He is blessed. And there is converts, uh, and there are miracles, uh, and there are disciples, uh, and there's that liberal spirit uh, that makes one fat, and that's not talking about calories. That is talking about a productivity and a fruitfulness. Uh, it's like Joseph who was a fruitful bough. His branches ran over the walls, uh, and you look at his life, and there is that pattern of liberality. Let me close quickly. God is going to judge Israel. He's going to bring a famine on Israel. Now think of this. It's going to be a horrible famine. It's going to be seven years. It's going to be a terrible time in the earth. And again, God remembers this woman. You can read it in chapter 8. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go... You and your household and stay wherever you can for the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come up on the land for seven years. She gets a word from God concerning direction of life to avoid His judgment and financial collapse. She goes away. Beautiful story. Seven years has passed. She's lost her land. She's lost her estate. She's lost the room that she built because she had a heart for the ministry. It's all gone. Gehazi's backslidden. He's standing with the king. He's telling the story to the king. Let me tell you, there was a Shumanite woman... She got a son when she was old. Her son died. And Elisha came and raised that boy from the dead. And he's telling this story about this woman. And behold, she is brought in before the king. Now, we're talking protocol. We're not, we're not talking just walk up one day and say, Howdy, king. I No telling, probably weeks have been working. Um, she's been going through the system. Um, who knows? But God now is involved in divine timing for blessing. And as she comes to approach the king, Gehazi flips out. King, king! Remember the story I just... I just... This is the woman. This, that's her son. Look. Can you imagine the timing of that? And listen to what the king said. Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, there was the woman, chapter, or, or verse 5, chapter 8. There was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house, for her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman... This is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Those seven years God had warned her and she'd left, she comes back 
And God says, I'm going to restore back to you your land, your home. Not only that, all of the fruit of the past seven years. All of this story began one day when a woman saw a kingdom need go by and her heart was so large, she said, you know what? Let's build a room. Let's build a room. What's in your heart this morning? I've heard of kingdom needs presented every night this week. There'll be another one tonight. What's in your heart? What's been your response? What was your response last night? What will your response be tonight when the need's presented? Oh, we, we love to hear these stories. We love to hear, oh, that man, that's miraculous. Don't you want a miracle in your life? I can tell you miracles. I'm pioneering a church. You know how it is when you pioneer churches. I'm sitting in a little restaurant. It's kind of like a little McDonald's. I got no money. I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I'm discouraged. I'm sitting there. And I feel someone looking at me, you know. And, and I'm, not, I'm thinking, God, not today. You know how it is. I, I've got no faith. In my mind, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I probably left a flyer on their door or witness to them, their, their son, their teenage boy, and they're upset because I was in the Baptist belt and I'd already gone through some of this. And I'm sitting, and, and I look, and sure enough, they're looking right at, and now they're talking. Him and his wife are talking. And I think, oh Lord, not today, please. Pretty soon, sure enough, here they come. He gets up, he walking right at me. I got my head down, hoping he'll walk right on by. He comes over and he says, says I don't know you. My wife and I, my family, we live in Chicago. We're on vacation. We're going to New Orleans. We're Christians, and God just spoke to me to give you this. And he pulls out this wad of money, lays it on the table, and it just... (laughs) Big bills. And he walks out. I look down. He says, God, I'm sorry. I pick it up, walk up, say, Give me a double cheeseburger, fries! That's what God can do. I'm in a clothing store one time, Harry Hills and I, years ago. Neither one of us have any money. We're both pioneering. We're just feeling the material. It's a suit store. Now, some of you guys, you identify, and you go, just go feel the suits, you know. Harry looks at this lady and her son's back there and he noticed her son's kind of limping. And so, Harry, we're talking to her. She's, uh, her, her father was a, a Baptist missionary. And so we're kind of talking and, and Harry says, do you mind if, if I pray for your son? I see that he's, he's got a limp. He gets a chair, you know, the normal stuff. Prays for this boy. He's probably about 17, 18. Boom, his leg comes out. This woman flips, man. She is wild. She is so excited. Her son's walking around. He's screaming. And Harry's there. And she looks right at me. And she says, Pick out any suit in here. It's yours free. (laughs) She looked at Pastor Hill and said, Thank you, sir. (laughs) I went over. How's this look, Harry? 
God can do those kind of things. God can do things. Years ago, I was pioneering. I'll close. I uh, had a car. It was our only car. This couple got saved, and he's trying to get a job. He's got no transportation. And so I'm in the prayer room praying. I says, God, give him a car. God, give him a car. God, oh, God, Holy Ghost, you know there's lots of cars. You can give him a car. And God says, give him your car. I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so, you know, I, did, I wish I could say I just jumped up and ran out and says, hey, here's the key. I, I prayed on it. <laughs> and God wouldn't turn me loose. I talked to my wife. I says, honey, I, says, I don't understand this. She says, thank God for it. She says, if it's God, do it. I gave him my car. Since that time, I've had six. Well, I lost count, but six I know of automobiles given to me. All of them better than that one. <laughs> I've got a 1966 Mustang. <laughs> Just drove it 2,000 miles not long ago. I go to Malaysia. I don't really know anyone in Malaysia. I meet this Chinese pastor, Yu Hong Sing. Here's 10,000 miles away, years down the road. He said, Pastor Campbell, he says, I don't know. And you know, they think all Americans are wealthy, you know. And he says, says I, I don't know. But he says, you know, my wife and I, we're, we're buying a new automobile. And I have this old automobile. It's nice. It's dependable. He says, you and your wife. You take it if you'd like. If you, won't, if you won't feel offended, drive it as long as you like. We drove it for a number of months. Decided we were going to stay there. Got our own automobile. Returned it to him with a gift. Uh, but here is 10,000 miles. And I wonder, this man, I don't even know this man. He's not in our fellowship. Nothing. But I wonder if God didn't look back years ago. And God said, give him your car. And it became a defining moment in my life and my walk with God.